One of our challenges, I believe, all over our country today is that we are raising up a whole bunch of people that can attend the church occasionally, but they actually don't look like Jesus. Welcome to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today, and we pray that you will be encouraged, challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor John Couch. Oh God, we come before you today with gratitude, with a just a deep appreciation, Father, for who you are, for what you gave in your son Jesus. Father, I pray that as we sang those songs that we would understand that when there is perfect submission to you, there is perfect delight and all really is at rest. Oh, Father, in the midst of so many challenges that Christians are facing across the world, but yes, even here in the United States, as we've known now for years that missionaries from persecuted countries are actually being sent to the United States. Oh, God, I pray that you would raise up a mighty group of people from this place today to be in perfect submission to you and therefore totally at rest. Father, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable to You and only You, my Lord, my Rock, and my Redeemer. And so, Father, as we open the Holy Scriptures, I yield myself to You. Give me a divine unction that can only come from the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray that we would not see the vessel, but I pray all we would see is You, Jesus. And so move in this place. Give us soft, tender hearts for Your still, small voice. And may we obey and surrender all that we are to You today. And we pray this all in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Take your Bible and turn to Second Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. And the title of the message today is, The Day of the Lord Will Come. Why Gamble with Your Spiritual Future? How many of you today believe that the day of the Lord will come? Raise your hand. The day of the Lord is coming. We are one step closer today. The question I asked myself this past week is, am I one step more ready today? When we look at these Scriptures, I pray, Holy Spirit, as I speak even right now, would You, would you speak in such a way, would you, would you cut in, would You dive in in such a way that, Holy Spirit, I ask that would, would You speak in a profound blaring of Your spiritual horn, if You will, 
that we would ask ourselves, are we spiritually ready for the day of the Lord? Because why would we want to gamble with our spiritual future? Here's what the Word of God says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. Here's what he writes, Peter does. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. There's affection there. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere, it means your uncontaminated mind. Remember, pause for a moment. Peter believes that the people he's writing to are saved. And he does this right here, the next four words, by way of reminder. Reminding what? To be holy. Two, here's the why. That you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. Verse 4, they will say, where is the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Now look at verse 5. Very important wording here. For they deliberately, not accidentally, they deliberately overlook this fact. There's rebellion and defiance that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the Word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. Remember Noah and the flood? But by the same Word, the heavens, interesting, but by the same Word. The heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. It's hard to wrap our head around, isn't it? The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, verse 9, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Look at verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar. And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. No more hiding. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you, me, to be in lives of what church? Holiness. And what church? Godliness. Now look at verse 12 for the motivators 
why we should be holy and godly. This is so rich. Waiting, eagerly hoping for and hastening, eagerly desiring the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. Thirteen, lastly. But according to His promise, not what we think, His promise, we are waiting for what? New heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells, no sin, no brokenness, total glory, total holiness. Amen? I don't know about you, but that gets me excited. Like, that's what I'm waiting for. Like, that's what I do what I do. That's why I do it. That we can prayerfully, that we can prayerfully see more people have the blinders and scales removed and begin to walk and begin to walk in holiness and godliness that, that they might see that there is light and His name is Jesus. There is hope and His name is Jesus. That they might see that there is only one way in this life to have true peace, true contentment, and true joy, and that's only through Jesus Christ and no one else. And yet we live in this world of so much distraction. We were talking earlier this morning, and I, I throw this in, it's free, it's not in the notes. We have a, a house guest that's been with us for a while now, and his name is Phil. Phil is a plant. Phil doesn't say a whole lot. Doesn't really do a whole lot. But I was reminded of this powerful analogy this morning, and I pray, Holy Spirit, will you drive this point home right now? See, Phil was partially in the sun, S-U-N, in our house. And while Phil was partially in the sun, Phil began to wither because he was partially in the sun. My dear wife decided one day to take Phil and put him totally in the sun. <laughs> Guess how Phil's doing today? <laughs> See, when you're in the S-O-N partially, you think you may be living, but you're actually dying. But when you're totally in the S-O-N, that's when you begin to thrive. Peter hears him pouring, and in verse 3, he says something very, very important in your Bible in front of you. He says, knowing this first of all, in other words, he says this in the original, mission critical, listen up, listen up. 
Knowing this first of all, he could have said anything. He could have said, knowing this first of all, you need to go home and make a peanut butter sandwich. I mean, he could have said anything. He goes, no, first of all, know this, that scoffers will come in the last days. He's warning these believers. He's saying, be on your guard. Have your guard up. You say, what's a scoffer? Well, it's someone who's prideful, who's arrogant, who ridicules, who's insecure, who's focused on self, who's jealous. All these descriptors embody scoffing. They mock. They tear down others to build self up. Matter of fact, here's what's really interesting. When you actually study this in the original language, the word scoffer means this, to act like a child. You guys ever been around two kids? And there's one toy? It's interesting, when the two kids see the one toy, you often hear a four-letter word. Mine. <laughs> it's amazing what happens when we take our eyes off Jesus. And that's what scoffers are about, to look inwardly. Jonathan Edwards, one of my favorite old dead dudes, says that pride is the worst viper in the heart. It's deadly, it's poisonous, and you got to remember this, that not all scoffers are bombastic. A lot of times we think of someone who's scoffing as very bombastic. Well, they can be, I've seen that, but a lot of scoffers are very stealth, very covert. Many operate under the radar. They're smart enough to not push the envelope too much, but be on your guard. And that's what Peter's saying. If you're not hearing anything, hear this. When he says knowing this first of all, he's not just passing on information. It's kind of like right now, if I, if I was to say, a church, um, there's a tornado in the parking lot. If I was to say that right now, I'm not passing on information. I'm trying to warn. I'm trying to warn, saying, be on your guard. And that's exactly what Peter's doing. He's saying, look, you've got to know this. You've got to be aware that they're all around. They're, they're looking to pull people away from truth. And that's why I wrote down key number one, and I ask you to write it down in your notes. Key number one, Satan and those working for him attack where they are threatened the most. Satan and those working for him attack where they are threatened the most. Let me give you an illustration. So, you've probably never seen this in your life, but if you've ever been around someone who is envious of you or jealous of you, they typically don't cheer you on. Now, they may do that on the outside, but on the inside and behind the scenes, there's not a genuine heart of being happy for you. There's a a jealousy. There's a discontentment there. 
That's exactly what Peter is getting at here in this scoffing, these scoffers that you see so clearly they're going to attack where they're threatened the most. So if there's insecurity in a person, they're going to attack those people that are secure. That's what the enemy always does. If there's jealousy, they're going to attack the people that have what they want. If there's selfishness, they're going to attack the people that have what they want. And this all, this all goes back to the Garden of Eden. You will be like God was the lie. And ever since then, all humanity is on this chase to have fulfillment, to have true peace, and that's why we preach the name of Jesus Christ at this church, amen? There is no other name that you can be saved but only by the name of Jesus Christ. I mean, there is no other name. I get it. We're in a let's not hurt people's feelings culture. I get this. This is not the time to be worrying about people's feelings being hurt. This is the time to be proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ that can set them free because the day of the Lord is coming. You mean I need to stop lying? Yes. You need I need to stop sleeping with my girlfriend. We're not married. Yes. You mean I, I need to begin to pursue holiness? Yes. The scoffers always attack two things. They attack the truth of God's Word because they're threatened the most by it. And secondly, they attack those who herald God's Word because they're threatened most by it. What does the Bible say about scoffers? I'm glad you asked. Jude, chapter 1. That was a joke. There's only one chapter. 17 through 19 says this, but you must remember, beloved, interesting, isn't this amazing? Two different writers similar language. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be church, help me, scoffers, what are they going to do? Following their own ungodly passions. Here it is. It is these who cause divisions. Worldly people devoid of the Spirit, capital S, which means holy. Think about Psalms, Psalm 1, one of my favorite Psalms in all of Psalms. Psalms chapter 1, verse 1 and following, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of, help me church, scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. It's in the Word of the Lord. Do you see that? And on His law, He meditates day and night. He's feasting. He's nourishing His roots, His spiritual roots. Every one of us, let me pause here for a moment. Every one of us in the room have roots. Every human being has roots. It's what you do with those roots that matters most. And right now, if your roots are not in truth, if your roots are when other people are saying, if your roots are in nonsense, 
you're literally taking toxins into your roots, into your spiritual body. You're literally feeding on poison. That's why I've got to meditate day and night on truth. And here's what will happen to the man or woman that makes that choice. If you want to marinate in truth, here's what's going to happen. Look at verse 3 of Psalm 1. He is like a tree planted. Here's the description. He is like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. For the wicked are not so. The scoffers are not so. But are like the chaff. And the wind is going to eventually expose them and blow them away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Verse 6, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish, period. You're listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. All of Pastor Couch's messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. In addition, you can share your prayer requests with us via email. Our email address for prayer requests is prayer at thisdayministries.org. That's prayer at thisdayministries.org. And now, back to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch. But I was thinking further. I thought, well, I love to read the book of Proverbs. A proverb a day will keep the enemy away. Amen? And so I used this thing called Google. You ever tried that before? And I was curious what Proverbs says about scoffers. And the page lit up. Write these down. I'll read them just verbatim, one after another. Proverbs 122, Proverbs 122, how long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? See, scoffers and foolishness all go hand in hand together. They're bedfellows. Proverbs chapter 9, 7 through 8, 9, 7 through 8, whoever, this is powerful, whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. Hmm. And he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. However, reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Proverbs 14, 16. Proverbs 14, 16. A scoffer what seeks wisdom in vain, but knowledge is easy for a man of understanding. Proverbs 15, 12. A scoffer does not like to be reproved. Here we go again. He will not go to the wise. Proverbs 19.29, 19.29, condemnation is ready for scoffers and beating for the backs of fools. Do you see the connection again? Foolishness and scoffing. Proverbs 21.24, scoffer is the name of the arrogant, haughty man who acts with arrogant pride. And lastly, here's a promise right here. Proverbs 22.10, drive out a scoffer and strife will go out, and quarreling and abuse will cease. 
Why, oh why, does Proverbs 22.10 tell us that when the scoffer is cast out, that all of that will cease? Well, it's real simple. God opposes the proud. He's going to war against the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. It's that simple. It's that simple, that, that the proud, the arrogant, those who are pushing against the truth, God's going to war. He's going to war. The Spirit's being quenched. The Spirit's being grieved. The great martyrs of the faith that went before us, and so many of them died just brutal deaths. Did you know there's martyrs right now overseas that are dying horrific deaths? But did you also know that there are martyrs right here, right here? I talked to one on the phone here recently. Right here in the United States. Oh, they're not being hung on crosses, but they're being crucified, I can assure you. And the parallel, which is so interesting as I was thinking about that this week, that the martyrs of days gone by and the martyrs overseas today that perhaps are being executed physically and the martyrs even here in the United States that are being crucified on all other levels, the reality is this, when you look at the similarities, you see this, it's the martyrs who refuse to remain silent. It's just way too easy to sit on our hands and do nothing when the truth is on trial, because there's only one side of the truth. There's only one. And my encouragement is, make sure you're on the right side, because there's only one side. What does Peter then dive into? He first in verse 3 said, wait a minute, beware of the scoffers in these last days. Remember those last days from the arrival of Jesus? To when he returns again. Those are the last days, right? And that's the whole point. That's why these scoffers were so rebellious because they're like, I don't see any Jesus hanging around. No, he's coming back. No one knows the day nor the hour, not even the sun, S O N. The day of the Lord will come, rest assured. Don't gamble with your spiritual future. Don't gamble. You're playing Russian roulette if you are. That's why verse 7 through 10a says it like this, but by the same word, that's the word of God, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for what? Fire. Did you catch this? Pause for a moment. So <laughs> we have Noah and we got his big boat and his little band of people and they're in the arky arky and there they are sailing on. And there's water that's destroying. And then comes this rainbow. Not the rainbow that you see in our culture today. It's a rainbow from God that has not been perverted and distorted. And the promise is this, that I will never, God says, I will never destroy the earth again by water. Right here we see he's promising another promise. And I will destroy the earth again. This time by what? A fire. And you see so clearly as we read on in this text that as that fire, as that judgment, that's what that is. It's destruction, the judgment being kept under the, until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Verse 8, but do not overlook this one fact. There he goes again. He, he's singling down, knowing this first of all, he says, knowing this first of all, 
Scoffers are coming. They're there. Be on your guard. They're going to suck you in. You're going to listen to the chatter. You're going to get sucked in, pulled in over to this corner, pulled into this meeting. Over here, here, listen to all the chatter. Make sure you got your guard up. They will suck you in. Then he goes, wait a minute. Don't overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. God's concept of time is not ours, amen? Could he be referring potentially to the millennial reign of a thousand years, perhaps? And then he says this in verse 9. Here it is. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. God is calling and redeeming His own. He's calling and redeeming His own. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all who are His should reach repentance. It's this one-time act, yes. In this instance, the repentance is a one-time salvific act. But as you know and I know this, that as my life gets closer to Jesus, as your life gets closer to Jesus, there are things in my life and things in your life that get revealed that need to become more like Jesus. And in order for that to happen, i got to repent and you got to repent. Woo! Seven years old, walked an aisle, got dunked, glad I got this over with. Let's go partay, because we're saved. It's not salvation. That's foolishness is what that is. Salvation is this, that you see who you are compared to the great holy God, that your life gets radically wrought. It's no longer the same. You surrender everything to Jesus. Take my life and let it be. And then what happens? Well... I think we see so clearly the day of the Lord, Christ's return and God's judgment will come like a thief. Church, hear this clearly. If you think that you're somehow going to get ready when Jesus comes, you are only fooling yourself. And I think way too many people are playing that game. Oh, we'll get ready later. We got time. I've lived this long, and God must be okay. That's going to come sudden. It's going to come swift. And there aren't any do overs. The thought occurred to me. One of our challenges, I believe, all over our country today is that we are raising up a whole bunch of people that can attend a church occasionally, but they actually don't look like Jesus. And Peter here is warning. He's warning. He's calling them beloved because he loves them. We speak these truths out of love. If you're playing games with God, you're going to lose. And if you're playing games with God, the impact that you're having on other people with those games could lead them down the road of destruction as well. That's why I asked the question in key number two. The day of the Lord is coming. Are you truly ready? 
the day of the Lord is coming, are you truly ready? Not do you hope that you're ready. Not do you think you're ready. Do you know? When Peter in verse 3 said, knowing first of all, he's saying this, there's a confidence of being intellectually aware, but again, it goes back to salvation. There's an intellectual belief, there's an emotional response, and then there's an obedience of act of the will. This is what he's saying here. He's saying, do you know this? It's going to come as a thief in the night. Do you know? Like, Like truly, do you know? Which one of the four soils are you? Maybe we ask it like that. Four soils. One is by the wayside. The Word of God is the seed. It gets thrown on the wayside. It's hard ground. Nothing happens. It's, just, it's immediate rejection. And we all know people like that, that they go, I don't want that nonsense. I don't want that. I mean, just immediate, right? But then we got these two categories in between. We have what's called the rocky ground hearers. And they hear it. They even hear it with gladness. But because there's rocks in the soil of their heart, the seed, the Word, never really takes root. That The rocks are fighting. The rocks are jockeying for position. And they abandon the profession. Perhaps you're the third category, the thorny ground hearers. And the thorns are there, and the seed, the Word of God goes forth even in power, and yet there's these thorns that as it's trying to grow, it gets choked out by the cares of the world. Busyness, right? We're just busy. Appreciate you, God, but man, we're just a little busy. Prayerfully, you're the good soil. Not perfect soil, hear me clearly, but the good soil. The soil that's soft and tender, the, the soil that's, that's humble, the, the soil that, that just wants to be more like Christ and grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and you're going to be in that band, in that club, and I, I don't know. I, I don't know numerically if that represents anything, because it is 25% of the four. But I know this, narrow is the way. And few will find it. And if it is 25%, that's certainly narrow, and that's certainly few. But broad is the way. Broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many are going in by it. Have you ever wondered, church, what the first and last thoughts are in the Bible regarding the day of the Lord? In other words, have you ever wondered what's in the Bible from page to page of the day of the Lord? Well, Zephaniah chapter 1, 14 through 17 says it like this. Zephaniah 1, 14 through 17. Listen to this from the Bible itself. The great day of the Lord is near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. Did you catch that? I mean, the first descriptor is it's bitter. The mighty man cries aloud there. A day of wrath is that day, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet blast and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the lofty battlements. I will bring distress on mankind 
Why? So that they shall walk like the blind. Because they have what? Sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. Wow. If you're on that side of the fence of rejecting the Lord, that's what the day of the Lord's going to look like. Isaiah, for those who reject the Lord, says it like this, the day of the Lord, 13, 9 through 11, behold, the day of the Lord comes cruel with wrath and fierce anger to make the land a desolation and to destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of the heavens and their constellations will not give their light. The sun, here it is, the sun will be dark at its rising. And the moon will not shed its light. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will put an end to the pomp of the arrogant, of the scoffers. And lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. Joel chapter 2, if you're wondering what the day of the Lord's going to look like. Verse 31. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. In case you're wondering what's going to happen on that day for those that have rejected Christ, here's what the day of the Lord will look like from Obadiah chapter 1, verse 15. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. Hmm. So how about I give you New Testament, Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews 9, 27 through 28. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly awaiting for Him. Have we heard that phrase this morning? For you that have truly given your life to Christ, and I pray that's everyone, we will skip over all those Old Testament verses. Praise God. Amen. And we will walk in the righteousness of King Jesus as He comes back. But lastly, don't miss this, verse 11, as the dreadful day of the Lord is coming for the unsaved, what should those of us that have been saved be doing? Well, here it is, verse 11. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? It's really not a question in the original. It's actually an emphatic statement. He's saying, this is how you should be living. Holy, godly, set apart. Don't blend in with the world. Blend in with Jesus. So many times we see this so clearly in our culture, and I mentioned before, and I'll say it one more time. We're living in a christian ease church culture these days where we're producing a bunch of church attenders, but how many people are we really producing that look like Christ? Romans 8.29 is so clear. It's not on the screens, but it says this, that the goal and the aim is to be conformed to the image of Christ that would be pressed into His mold 
not, not pressed into the world's mold, not pressed in my own mold, that I would be conformed, I would be shaped and molded, that you would be shaped and molded, that the goal and the aim is to be conformed to the image of Christ. The pursuit of holiness is not an option for the true Christ follower. The pursuit of holiness is not an option for the true Christ follower. Church, understand this. Calling people to pursue holiness does not cause division. It doesn't. Calling people to pursue holiness reveals the division that has already been there. It doesn't create division. It reveals it. Jerry Bridges said it like this, because God is holy, He requires that we be holy. And church, I want you to understand this deep, deep truth that God will meet you today where you boldly obey Him. Write that down. God will meet you today where you boldly obey Him. He'll meet you there. Oh, He's going to meet you there. Boldly obeying God does not involve following the crowd. 1 Peter chapter 1, 13 through 16, listen closely. Therefore, preparing your minds for action. So doing something with your mind and being sober-minded, clear-headed, set, missile lock is what he's saying, Turn your gaze, your hope, fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. How? Well, look at verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed. Don't be pressed into the mold to the passions of your former ignorance, your unsavedness. But as He who called you is holy, is set apart, you also be holy. You also be set apart in what? In some of your conduct? in part of your conduct, in the conduct that you want to be holy? No, in all of your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, you shall be set apart, for I am holy, I am set apart. When God saves you, when He radically redeems you, when you're regenerated, yes, we're in this process of sanctification, ongoing change, but we're in this process of becoming holy. That's the point of sanctification, to become like Jesus. It's ongoing change, becoming more like Christ as we continue to rid self of self and pursue holiness that now comes into our life and that manifests itself as we live for Christ. And I got to remind you from 1 Peter 3.18, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Here's the why, that He might bring us to God. There it is being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. If you're saved today and it's real and it's true, He's brought you to God. Peter goes back right here in verse 1 of chapter 3. There's a dividing wall. The scoffers have said, you know what? We're going to push against you, God. We don't want you. We're rebelling. We're defiant. Just like little kids just putting their heels in the ground going, we're not going this way. We're not going to do this. And God's going, okay, we're going to see how this works out. And God's going, I'm going to war against you. There's a middle wall of separation. 
Christ right here in 1 Peter 3.18, for Christ suffered once for the sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Why? That He might bring us to God. There it is. Boy, if you're saved today, I want you to picture this, that Jesus Christ took me and He took you and all of our junk and all of our mess, and He literally, while we're hanging there limp, we got nothing to offer Him but a big bag of sin. And He carries this into the throne room of God. He says, I'm bringing you to God. I'm breaking down the wall of separation made holy in my presence. There's nothing greater. There's nothing greater. This world I'm telling you, just listen to me. There's nothing greater. I don't know what you're pursuing, what you're hoping for, what you're dreaming for. If it's not Jesus, it's a dead end. A total dead end. That's why everything you and I do, whether it's holy or unholy, Everything, church, everything you and I do, everything that you and I do, whether it's holy or unholy, begins with a thought. It all begins with a thought. That's why we've got to be renewed by the Word. That's why the Word is so important. That's why the enemy attacks the Word. He just attacks it. He attacks it. You don't need it. You don't need it. Need something light. Need something more fun, whatever, the flavor of the day. He knows this. Oswald Chambers said it like this, beware of refusing to go to the funeral of your own independence. Beware of refusing to go to the funeral of your own independence. I couldn't help but think in closing that I was reminded of the wolf. The wolf. The Bible talks a lot about animals. There's sheep, there's wolves, maybe a bear, a donkey. I was thinking of the wolf. The wolf that's out there in the tundra looking for lunch. And there was a hunter who decided to put a knife in the ground to lure the wolf. So the hunter put some blood on the knife. The wolf journeyed upon this knife and began to lick the knife. Any knife lickers in the room? You can probably see where this story is going. See, what happened unbeknownst to the wolf because he was lured and baited, slowly seduced, is that as he was licking the knife, there was still constantly blood on the knife. His own. And you can only imagine what happened to the wolf at the stake of that knife. Be on your guard. It's so easy to see what we think is real when it's really not. And we get lured and baited. And before we know it, 
the destruction is around the corner. Holy Father, we come before you today and we worship you. Lord, my simple prayer is this. Nevertheless, what I will, but what you will. So, Father, as I surrender myself to you now, may you be pleased. Work in this place, Father. Do a work only you can do. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. Don't forget that all of these messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. That's thisdayministries.org. In addition, if you have been blessed by the teaching of God's Word during This Day in the Word, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is info at thisdayministries.org. Thanks again for listening as we strive to honor Christ and impact our world as we spend this day in the Word.